0: Take a look behind the curtain with a real whistleblower and American patriot. Prepare to embrace the uncomfortable truth because this program has no time for comforting lies. Here is civil liberties enthusiast, Second Amendment defender, and recovering FBI agent Kyle Seraph. Hello, my friends, and welcome to the Kyle Seraph Show. Today is Wednesday. It is the 27th of September. We are nearly into October. It is fall, as you found out yesterday. <laughs> We are doing pumpkin spice everything and climate panic. That is not today's topic. Today's topic is a perennial favorite of the political left. We're going to be talking about racism. Racism, except it doesn't actually work the way we think it does. It actually goes the other way around. And I've got some evidence. I show up with receipts for you all. In fact, a new Bloomberg article is going to blow your mind. I mean that. It will literally blow your mind. How wild. How wild we've gotten and how far afield we have gotten from the original ideas of fairness and equity and being able to allow things to happen. We didn't do equality. We're doing equity. Equity means we are trying to get uh, the same outcome for everybody, regardless of whether or not it makes any damn sense in this country. Pretty wild stuff. Pretty gross. We're going to be talking about it in terms of violence. We're going to be talking about it in terms of employment. Of course, you guys saw the strange picture of the weird man That has decided to rule a summary judgment against President Trump. Another one. Another one. I feel like we should have that guy. uh, What's that uh, DJ Khaled? He's like another one and another one. That's what we've got right now. We've got another pile, another straw on the back of Donald Trump. And he keeps on trudging along. You know that I don't have to be a huge fan for me to see that this is not right. We are living in an America that is wrong. It is pretty gross, and it's pretty disgusting for those of us who are watching it. So we're going to talk about that. Uh, we had a writer strike end, and we have a new strike beginning, and why not? Uh, I never saw Biden show up to the writer strike. Maybe he doesn't love Hollywood. I don't think it mattered. Did anyone else notice? I mean, we don't have writers on this show. We just go right off the top of our head, uh, like like many programs that you probably are spending your time on. So that's interesting and weird. And that is the way it goes when we do this. Let's get this timer started. What do you think? I'm going to start my timer, you all. And off we are to the races. So let's go ahead and say thanks to a sponsor. And in this particular case, we're going to say thanks to Catholic Vote. Here are my friends at Catholic Vote. Look at this. I can actually add myself to the scene here. No Ryan Matta today. No Ryan Matta, so we're doing our best. But here it goes. Look at this. Catholic Vote is, uh, they've got a border town Democrat sending migrants north. Mm. The mayor of El Paso said, we're going to send five buses full of migrants up to New York City, Chicago, and Denver. Enjoy. El Paso has been getting hammered, folks. It has absolutely been getting hammered. So here's a little piece in Catholic Vote about that. Talking about lawmakers confronting Biden. All you got to do is go to CatholicVote.org. CatholicVote.org. So easy. Type in your email. Type in your zip code. Boom. There they are. They will give you some things. Catholic hero spending a thousand day in prim- prison. Uh, Jimmy Lee is a prominent critic of the Chinese Communist Party. It goes on and on. Check out The Loop. The Loop is really a great email every morning. We didn't prep the show off it today, but sometimes it does happen. Sometimes it's just all the news you need. And if you've only got a short amount of time, you might as well look into it and check them out. Look at this. If I leave this thing on, it brings me back up. Here I am. I got to take myself off the screen. We've got uh, Eric Jason telling you to smash the like button. So, folks, if you would, if you can, we would appreciate it. Go ahead and hit that like button. What's going on here? Mm. Stand by, y'all. We're going to fix this in real time. So, nothing like a little bit of technical difficulties. I will get rid of that. There it is. All right. I don't like having a line across my face. So, let's get rowdy. Let's get into it. And let's talk about a little bit of corporate racism, shall we? Let's do this one. Here it is. It's from Bloomberg. This is actually a webpage that's so worth looking at. We're going to actually put the whole webpage on. I want you guys to be able to see this. So here it is. It says, Corporate America promised to hire a lot more people of color. And it actually did. They're actually praising this. They're calling it equality, but this is really what we would call equity. Okay, folks, this is equity. This is what equity looks like. It says the year after the Black Lives Matters protest, the S&P 100, these are the top 100 companies on the S&P stock index, added more than 300,000 jobs. Hold your breath for just one second. 94% went to people of color. That's going to be black, Asian, and Hispanic people. That just tells you that 6% of the people hired in those 300,000 jobs were white, at least by uh their own, at least by their own uh self self-identification. Now this may be a little bit fudged, we can say that because let's just clear down to the screen. Here we go. For a brief moment in 2020, this this whole article is wild. I I scrolled through the thing and there's actually some really neat graphics, so I want you guys to be able to see it. It says for a brief moment in 2020, much of corporate America united around a common goal to address the stark racial imbalances In their workplace. Is there really a stark racial imbalance? Is that really what's going on? Are people that are qualified not getting hired into positions because they're black? I just don't see it in America. Uh, We're going to show some evidence of that being completely absurd in a second using my old employer, because why wouldn't they? They gave us a little bit of an example. Uh, Mass protests, George Floyd. Flurry of company promises, vague and specific, hiring and promoting more black people and underrepresented groups. Why are they underrepresented? Are are they because they're so capable, but they're being eliminated from the possibilities? I don't know. Here it is. Total increase in the workplace. I'm going to show you these graphics because these graphics are actually pretty cool. They did a really nice job with this website, even though they are uh, sort of applauding racism in a bizarre way. All right. So they increased the total of their workforce to uh, 323,000. So again, over 300,000 in the first year after the Black Lives Matter protest. Here comes. Here comes some cool graphics. Ready? Look at these people. What are they doing? Oh, 94%. That's what it looks like visually. I actually want to scroll back and show it again because they'll, they'll break it down for you. There's, there's the piece. There's the mass. Okay. The masses look like this. Boom. And they segregate out. And that's the tiny little segment. Even though that means the minority of people got the majority of new jobs at the S&P 500. Some of these stats are just pretty wild. Again, there you go. They hired 23% black people, 40% Hispanic, 22% Asian, only 6% white, and 8% other races. I don't know what other races are out there. I I don't know. I don't know how they even break these things up. Some of these things are just the way that you analyze yourself. Now, if you're like me and you've decided that you're not just white, but you're also something else because, I don't know, maybe you're a Native American too. Maybe you were born in America the way that Kyle Serafin was and my family. We're all Native Americans here. So maybe you put that down. But... What I will say is this, most people do not fudge on their applications, they do not uh, change things, they do not get creative with their representation like some of my buddies in the bureau have started doing. So this is probably a pretty close to accurate number of hiring. And that's pretty amazing that these are the people that are going into these jobs. Now they break it down even further, which I think is worth looking at. Here's a really cool graphic. These are executives, senior executives. Okay, including senior level managers. Then they have first and midline supervisors. Then you have just the professional staff levels, roles that uh, require degrees and then less senior roles here. It's actually pretty cool to check out this graphic here. So I'm going to leave it on the screen for just a moment. As you guys can see, um, the big bulk of hiring looks like there's a good chunk of Asians in the professional category. Uh, You're seeing Hispanics moving up, but you see more people that are white people hired in the senior level jobs. I mean, I don't know. Shouldn't it just represent the population? How about it? How about it just represents the people that are capable? Wouldn't that be something? Wouldn't it be nice if we just hired people based on merit and we didn't have to get into all of this sort of bizarre things, but they show you stratified out um, 74% of the workforce when it comes to the senior level executives. This is just the overalls. These are the things that are um, how people are actually distributed across the country, not the hiring per se, but the actual overall distribution, which is closer to the real distribution of people in the world, Um, you know. This is what racism looks like when you start qualifying people by the color of their skin, the shape of their face, the shape of their eyes, the the sound of their last names, right? Is that really what's important when you go out there and you hire someone? Or does it matter more that you just hire a human being that is capable of doing the work? You'd think that, but our president, the commander in chief out there, the CEO of the United States Corporation, he hires people based on how they look. That's how we ended up with Kamala cackles, isn't it? I mean, how else did we get that woman in the White House? How else did she end up being the VP hanging out with Joey? She got there because she's a black female and he limited it to black female. He did the same thing when he was hiring for the Supreme Court. The guy is setting the precedent and Americans are following suit. So there's that. And it's kind of awful. Uh, I want to bring this thing up. This I said I would bring some receipts. So we're going to bring this up here. Here we go. This is a guy named Scott McMillian. By the way, what a good name, McMillian. So he used to be an FBI agent, and now he's the chief diversity hire of the FBI. Okay, so there you go. This was uh, him coming in. He was a 23-year veteran of the FBI. This is an article from Government Exec. If you don't follow govexec.com, you're missing out on some pretty good government information. Uh, I'll do it for you, so you can always find it here. This is their little segment called Inside the C-Suite. Uh, written by Courtney Bublé. I don't think any relation to the singer. And what they're saying is that in December of 21, they brought this guy on. I remember when it happened. They wanted to ask him what his story was. He gave up being an FBI agent, which is a job that potentially has some value, and went into this diversity office known as the Office of Diversity and Inclusion, or ODI, which was first established under Obama. You'll be shocked to learn, absolutely shocked to learn, that Obama had something to do with racial dividing. He certainly did that. And they hired this guy based on uh, Chris Ray's recommendation and commendation to prioritize diversity. There it is right there. Diversity aligning with the FBI's goals under the Biden administration. Hmm. There it is again. And they want to advance. uh, They want to do the DEI thing, the diversity, equity and inclusion and accessibility. That's, I guess, for people who are physically disabled. Nothing like a person who uh, maybe has a mental disorder and is unable to do certain things. Like I have a disability. It's rated by the VA. Some of you guys know about this. It's a GI problem. That doesn't stop me from doing my job. If you can do the job and you can do it with or without a reasonable accommodation that doesn't endanger people, fine. That's that's what should be happening. But that's not what we're doing. What we're doing is we're hiring this guy. And he says, oh, we're gonna be going through our data. We're gonna try to do a cultural shift. Look at this. We're looking at doing a cultural shift to change where diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility is literally within our DNA. I hate it when they say this. First of all, it's not in anyone's DNA. That's nonsensical. There's no DNA for, for a government agency. And in the case of this particular thing, you're, you're talking about them basically starting up a project that's called the Beacon Project. I don't want to talk about the Beacon Project because, as you guys know, here it is. We bring the receipts. This guy. So this gentleman right here is uh, the sort of poster boy for the FBI's Beacon Project, which is an outreach to historically black colleges and universities, which is known as racism. I'm going to show you exactly how racist in a second. Uh, this is Hiram Powell. He got his degree in conservatory musicianship in 1973. He is a jazz musician by trade and a, a music educator who has a PhD. So Dr. Hiram Powell is actually a doctor in teaching music, of all things. And for whatever reason, he's uh, in charge of a, a school down near Stephen Friend in Daytona Beach in Florida, that is apparently very expensive, and as long as you can get a government-backed loan, you can get in there. It's a historically black college and university that uh, is not something that I'd ever heard of. I have to see if they actually tell you what it is. I looked it up earlier, and then I just I brain-dumped it. It's not all that relevant. The The interesting thing is, is they use this guy on the regular to kind of pump out the FBI's DEI agenda and the Beacon Project. And so I'm going to tell you a little bit about the Beacon Project. It's an outreach to these schools, and, and we think that, okay, fine, like they want to reach out to these schools and have uh, – you know, black Americans that are going to historically black colleges and universities have access or to information and hiring processes at the FBI. That's not what's going on here. You know, we bring the receipts. So here it is. This is what really, really bothers me. Now, this is the former. I don't know if he's the former or he's the current SAC of the Kansas City field office. This was Garrett Boyle's boss. All right. And this is an email sent out to the entire executive suite. It'd be a real shame if they all started getting emails from you all. At kcexecutive.ic.fbi.gov, Casey executive at ic. That's intelligence community. For those of you who don't think the FBI is part of the intel community, they say it right there. ic.fbi.gov. And this is an email that was sent down from Scott McMillian. Okay, the guy we just talked about. It says, "Good afternoon." ADICs, that's the assistant directors in charge. That's going to be the top people at like New York and Washington and Los Angeles. NSACs, which is the top people at the rest of the FBI field office. The FBI's Honors Internship Program, or HIP, is upon us. And your offices will be receiving intern candidates for consideration from HRD, that's Human Resources. As part of the Beacon Project, as we just talked about, the Office of Diversity and Inclusion, ODI, strongly encourages the field offices to consider historically black colleges and university student intern candidates. In bold. Here it is. Are you ready to see it? It says it right here. It says regardless of graduating year and or major. So regardless of their seniority in school and regardless of what their major is and whether it's applicable, you can read that as regardless of whether or not they make sense to hire. You need to be looking at black internship candidates. All right. They are part of the if they are part of the eligible pool of intern candidates, you should be prioritizing these people. It's in all bold. Then they go down. In addition, please ensure that the diversity and inclusion coordinator. Every FBI agent um, knows that the people that are working as the quote unquote coordinator positions are the least capable in their field. If you were a coordinator for, let's say, I don't know, crimes upon the high seas, like our uh, our FBI Barbie was, that means that you probably couldn't handle real case work. And so your job as a coordinator is to outreach and do things that are administrative and not do investigations. The DEI coordinator or the diversity and inclusion coordinator must participate in your field offices HIP honors internship program panels, as well as the selection of candidates to be interviewed. Well, is that really a big problem, Kyle? Who cares if they're hiring interns? Does anyone really matter? Does it matter if they're hiring interns that are from historically black colleges and universities? I'm going to tell you why. When you go to work for a program like the FBI, it's the same thing if you went to the CIA or if you went to the NSA and you got into their internship program. These are fast tracks to a top secret clearance at a very young age. People that generally speaking would not hold these if they were not in, let's say, in the military where they've got a lot of different uh, constraints on them when they are when their whole life is basically planned out and they are working under a, uh, you know, a pretty organized structure. When you get that top secret clearance, it holds, as many of you guys have seen from, let's say, like the 51 intelligence professionals who decided to go out there with their top secret clearance and haven't been removed, even though they were giving fake Russian information out. When you get that top-secret clearance, you can walk in and they can pass that clearance to another agency. So let's say you get this job and you want to go work for, let's say, the Department of State. You can go and take that top-secret clearance held by the FBI, have it passed over to the state, and they will do a very, very short background check because you already are holding a clearance, and they they will take the FBI's word that you're worth it. They will do the same thing at NSA. They'll do the same thing over at DHS. If you wanted to work in the border patrol, if you wanted to work in any of these jobs, and getting a straight shot job into a clearance role like this is basically a straight shot into a eighty to one hundred thousand dollar a year job right out of college. That's a big deal. That's a buy off. And now imagine that you got that clearance, and that's one of the major reasons why they decided to hire you. Adjudicating a clearance supposedly costs about a hundred thousand dollars in resources, in background checks, in sending agents out to all your neighbors and doing all these kind of things. So walking in with that saves an agency, a ton of money. And they sometimes look at this just because the expediency of getting somebody on board is so much higher. So we're basically fast tracking people that otherwise would not be in that position that would not make it in a competitive field because we're looking at them in the honors internship program. And also, let me tell you this, the honors interns that worked in my office came from Ivy League schools. They had master's degrees from Ivy League schools. They were current FBI uh, employees that had been you know, you know left, had gone back to school, and then came back and brought on in a specific field that they were interested in. Master's and PhDs, this is pretty common. The honors internship program is incredibly, incredibly competitive, unless you're going to be taking them from historically black colleges and universities and telling people that you have to consider them simply because of the color of their skin. This should be a real problem for all of us. We should be pretty disgusted by this. And I'm going to just give you a little taste. Well, first of all, here's the, um, there it is. So there you have uh, the FBI jobs website. I actually wanted you to see their their Twitter profile because I want you to see how absurd and ridiculous this thing is. This is FBI jobs. You can follow them on Twitter if you are so inclined. What is their uh, their handle here? I think it's at FBI jobs. God, it's so bad. Okay, at FBI jobs. If you want to follow them on Twitter, you can see this. Now watch this. Look at what we're going to see here. Okay. Human resources. Everybody is nice and diverse. We're going to have a supervisory agent who's Hispanic, but they're not going to talk about his last name because secret agents. There's our boy right there, Dr. Hiram. Okay. They're going to talk about some kind of analysis thing. Okay, now we're going to do Indians. So they actually censor this thing out. It's actually really funny. It says, I know the culture. I know the language. And it helps. And they put parenthetically Native Americans to trust me. Uh, in, in the Bureau, we call them Indians because that's what is is the federal language around it. Indian reservations, Indian crime unit, et cetera, et cetera. But that probably looks bad to the uh, teenage intern that's actually running this thing. So there you go. Uh, There we're going to set ourselves apart with uh, Pink and Muddy Princess runs. So women who are fat are going to be listed. Join the FBI. Set yourself apart. Fat ladies who otherwise can't do things and wear tutus while they run around in the mud. Okay, fine. There's our cyber clinic. I actually have a little thing about their cyber uh, deputy assistant director for a second here. Oh, There's a F-35 that we lost maybe. Hmm. Okay, these are the fun ones. There's a ton of these. They come out all the time. A diversity agent recruitment event in Chattanooga. Okay, there you have a nice little diverse group of I don't know if that's a man or a woman. I think that's a woman doing push-ups. Women only have to do a few push-ups, so that's good. <laughs> we were hiring electronics technicians. Honors internship program is back up again. More diversity recruitment. This one's in Birmingham. This is gonna be Hispanic females. Like I can tell you, it is just insane how much they will push the diversity agenda on this stuff. It's, it's, it's nauseating. And this was something that I thought was really fun. They were doing a profile on this particular, on the, the main FBI page, and they were talking about Cynthia Kaiser. She is the assistant section chief. She's actually now the deputy assistant director of the FBI cyber division. Okay. And if you're looking up here, this is from uh, Rocket Reach, which is just a background check website. She's working out of Baltimore, which is fine. She's probably working out of D.C. now. And it just shows you her career track. She has a bachelor's from Valparaiso. She has a master's from George Washington University, a competitive candidate if she was going into let's say the honors internship program, went to Georgetown 2017, 2018 for some sort of uh, post-master's thing. So who knows, probably a PhD or maybe she's an attorney. And here's what's really fun. She was a grantee. She was a Fulbright scholar. Then she was detailed to the State Department. I don't know what a detail is, but that's a lower position. Then she got managed to get hired on as a supervisory analyst, a GS-14 analyst at the FBI, then was over at the ODNI. And now she is the section chief of cyber. And then again, the deputy director of the cyber division. Cyber division investigates crimes using cyber means. So this is going to be hacking. This is going to be ransomware and things like that. Is it interesting to anyone else that they're nowhere on this list, nowhere on that entire category of uh, of her resume, does it say that she worked as an FBI agent? She's no Keanu Reeves. She's no Johnny Utah. She's never been an FBI agent. So what we're doing is we're putting people in leadership. And I've made this point to people before. It's really worth knowing. The FBI continues to hire at a very high level, including in the C-suite, what we would call the C-suite or the deputy director, the special, um, the special, what do you call it, the senior executive service. They're hiring these SES people that are not FBI agents to do the job. Now, Scott McMillan, uh, McMillian rather, is in fact a former FBI agent, so I guess that's good. He at least knows what the job is supposed to be. But in the case of this woman, who's one of the top people in the cyber division, which investigates cyber crime not a criminal investigator. You wonder why people run over your constitutional liberties. It's because when you put people in charge that are setting policy and they have no background in constitutional law because they've never actually done this work. They've never done the work. All right. And when that's the case, we get this sort of really scary scenario where anybody could do it as long as they have the right background, as long as they have enough credentials. And I said this on Tim Pool's show, so if you guys missed the uh, the uh, culture war that Garrett and I did, and I think Garrett's out there in the chat, uh, riling you up. One of the things that we talked about is that the ideological capture that happens in agencies like the FBI and other government agencies is that you get people that have been spending, this woman's got four years, then she's got another three years plus two years. So what does that come out to? Two and three is five. So she's almost got 10 years worth of indoctrination in our university systems. And that just tells you straight up how they're going to think about things. Uh, We're going to talk a little further about racism because it's not limited to this. Uh, Let me also say first, thanks to my friends over at Patriot Coolers, look at that. That is a very large window. This is what happens when Ryan's not running the show. Promo code KYLE over at PatriotCoolers.com will get you 10% off. You can get any number of their fantastic items. You can see on the left-hand side, they've got coolers, they've got drinkware, they've got gear, they actually have hats and stuff like that. They sent me a hat if you're looking for a new hunting hat that says Patriot on there but also blends in in the background. You could do that. Uh, Promo code KYLE, K-Y-L-E, gets you 10% off. I'm looking at the one-gallon jug. We've got that. We've got the insulated coffee mug, which my dad stole. No big deal. He told me he would give it back. I said, no. You can see they've got the 32-ounce tumbler. they got the 20-ounce tumblers. Ryan probably has the too big of a tumbler for him. We're going to send him a smaller one at some point. Uh, PatriotCoolers.com, promo code KYLE, an OG sponsor of the Kyle Seraphin Show. Use our code over there. It lets them know that we sent you, and we do really appreciate their support, and we appreciate you guys supporting them. Good stuff. Uh, Also, they give a percentage back of all their sales to disabled veterans, which is an awesome cause. So two double whammies right there. (laughs) Somebody in the chat, pissy bitch just said, we got one gallon bottle. Yeah, it's heavy as hell. It's also a great weapon system. Should you need it? You never know when you might need to go after and do that. So let's talk about something outrageous. When you have this culture in the United States, and we do, when you have this culture, you end up with... um, Something horrific that happens, like what we're seeing over at Gateway Pundit. This was reported two days ago. This is just an absolutely atrocious story. And it it makes your heart sick. Okay, some of you may have actually heard of the fatal beating of this guy. His name was Ethan Lemming. And uh, he was outside of LeBron uh, James High School, or a high school founded by LeBron James. He's 17 years old. You can see his picture there on the right with his tussled hair. And these two kids beat him to death, viciously. Absolutely violently. They stomped on his chest. They broke his neck. They stole his car. They kept his friends from taking him to the hospital. And they let him die there. Uh, They jumped him in a parking lot. His dad's a pastor. He tried to calm down a situation when he saw some guys getting into a fight. And he was beaten to death. He was pronounced dead in the parking lot. Here you go. You've got a little picture of the police report. Stafford did knowingly cause or attempt to cause serious physical harm to Ethan Lemming. The result was the felonious assault. That resulted in his death. He was incarcerated. Stafford Punch assaulted. Beat him unconscious. Beat him even more when he was unconscious on the ground by stomping and kicking him multiple times in the head, resulting in his death on scene. Mm-hmm. And what happens when he swore out this, this criminal complaint? They were acquitted on involuntary manslaughter charges. They had three suspects. They indicted all of them uh, on lesser charges. These uh, This guy, he was 20 years old. Killed a 17-year-old, Deshaun Stafford and his brother, 19-year-old Tyler Stafford. They were uh, convicted, but on lesser charges. Not on the murder. Not even on the manslaughter charge, which is an involuntary manslaughter that they killed him, but they didn't mean to, even though he's dead. And it was a direct result of what they did. He was found guilty of a uh, aggravated assault and one misdemeanor assault charge. And his brother was found guilty on a misdemeanor. The oldest guy there, a 20-year-old who beat someone to death fatally punching him and stomping on him until he was dead, is facing up to two and a half years in jail. Meanwhile, I want you to consider this. There is a proud boy sitting in jail for 22 years for sitting in a hotel room when January 6th happened. Now, one is state charges, one is federal charges. But the fact that we are seeing a judiciary that is so, so obviously unfair to people and the fact that somebody has been deprived of their child, right? Deprived of a child when this was totally totally unnecessary. Even punching something. I don't really even have a problem with men settling their differences with a couple of fists. I really don't. It probably would. The physical consequence world should actually exist. We should have physical consequences every once in a while for something stupid. It would keep a lot of the stupidity. But if you're going to go to the point where you beat someone to death, especially when they're unconscious and are not posing a threat to you anymore, and then you can get off with facing maybe two and a half years, he'll do, what, half of that? 18 months in prison, 20 months in prison, that's nauseating. It's a 17-year-old boy. Think about yourself when you were 17. The whole world's in front of you. You got all the possibilities. You don't know that somebody's going to do something that crazy. You've never been exposed to that part of the world, that somebody would have the, the darkness in their heart to stomp you to death when you were unconscious. I have a friend who uh, has a traumatic brain injury. We, We served together in the military. He could no longer keep track of things in a spatial sense. Physically fit, super nice guy, tried to break up a fight. Exactly the same thing. He tried to break up a fight at a bar. And as he was doing so, somebody came up and broke a bottle over the back of his head and knocked him out. Um, broke a bottle out over at first. First they hit him and they knocked him out and then they broke the bottle over him when he was down and then kicked his head until he had a, a TBI, a traumatic brain injury. And he was unable to look around and figure out where he was anymore. Like he, I'd be like, hey man, uh, turn left. And he would just be like, you know, he would do the thing where he would look at his hands and try to figure out what left was. Total liability. And he was in a field for, where navigation was like really important. And, and he was no longer able to do that job. He was, he was not able to be particularly successful. He was able to overcome it in spite of that fact. But the TBI was 100% the result of these insane people that are out there kicking people on the ground. There's no honor in that. There's no honor in being tough when somebody else is unconscious. Uh, that's animalistic. And in fact, animals won't even do that. They won't, you know, if there's a dominance play involved, they're not going to fight something that's on the ground. They're only doing that for food. And we're not fighting for food here. These guys were acquitted of the, involuntarily, uh, the involuntary manslaughter charge. Like I said, acquitted. The jury heard the information, Saw the 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 uh, the medical examiner reports, and they walked away with that, and they said, "No, we can't do that." Why is that? Because we're doing this thing where people get out because of uh, because of racism. Let's pivot. Let's pivot. Nasty. Uh, we'll pivot right over here to what's going on on the other side of it. This is the judiciary side of it. There you go. This is the AP reporting it right now. The AP reporting as of yesterday. Donald Trump. Defrauded banks and insurers while building his real estate empire. And so, therefore, they need, he has ordered that the parts of the Trump administration or Trump organization, rather, his business operation be disbanded. And that's pretty interesting, right? What about that? How about this? The judge's name is Arthur Engeron. And Engeron was dealing with a civil suit that was brought by the attorney general. And that's Letitia James. You guys may know that. Trump is facing problems on literally every side. And he ordered that some of the business licenses be rescinded as punishment. He's actually going after the kids as well. Donald Trump Jr. saying that they should not be able to do it, that they should have an independent monitor to oversee Trump organization operations in New York, and that they shouldn't have the ability to even work in the state. Uh, no no response from the uh, from the Trump organization at this time. And of course, this was the, uh, this was days before the start of a non-jury trial. So that's going to be a bench trial. You'd think that the judge would understand how the law works. I don't remember anywhere that this makes sense in a due process sense. But essentially what Trump did was he was bragging about the things he had and he had some valuations that they believe were wrong. What I guess they don't understand is that when insurance companies decide to underwrite something, they get their own arbiters. They get their own appraisers in the same way that if you were to go out there and offer a certain amount of money for a uh, bank loan. Many of you guys may have done this before. If you go out there and you say, I would like to buy this house, and I think it's worth $560,000, the bank comes back and says, it's only worth four hundred. you're $160,000 high. You can come up with the difference if you want us to loan you the four. We're not going in that, and plus whatever you know, your down payment may have to be. That's how this works. You go out there, your evaluations, they're not subject to you just saying it, and then that's the fraud. That's insane. And so apparently this judge decided to do this. There's some other interesting things about this judge, though. I found out he's not maybe the best guy in the world. So let's bring that up. Here it is. This comes from the Jewish Telegraphic Agency, jta.org. It's a story dating back to 2002. Hat tip to the uh, Twitter follower who sent me this. July of 2002. A piece written by Stuart Ain. It says the law secretary of Manhattan Supreme Court Justice Martin Schofield may be in hot water for dating the secretary of a plaintiff's lawyer who had a case pending before that judge. And who was that law secretary? Well, court papers say that the law secretary, Arthur Angeron, now the judge that is ruling against Trump. Apparently, he has no problem getting involved romantically in an affair with a plaintiff's lawyer. And then, strangely, there was a ruling that looked very suspect by the uh, defense attorneys, this guy named uh, Nathan Lewin. Nathan Lewin was defending a defamation lawsuit and claims that a decision was suspect and probably influenced by information received from the woman identified only as Sue. Sue was in fact somebody that was having the affair with the law clerk and related to the defense. That seems like a problem. People who lack discretion in small things tend to lack discretion in larger things. Do they not? Is that not how it works? It seems to me... That if you're not trustworthy in certain ways, maybe you're not trustworthy in other ways. Uh, I I got to pull up the picture of this guy. There's there's no other way to do it. And if you guys will just bear with me for one moment, I put it up on my Twitter profile because that's where we're going to find it. I'm going to bring this guy's picture up. He looks like death warmed over. Sometimes when people are doing things that are so strange, you wonder, is there a physical component to the way that they are operating? Is there, did they pull it down? That would be something. The uh, the, the way that certain people... There he is. All right. Ready? Look at that. Look at that guy. Is that not a face that only a mother could love? This is his official photo, by the way, that he chose for himself. That's the judge that has ruled against Trump. I just wanted you guys to see it. There's no there's no other commentary there. There's no other value that I'm giving you. If you're not watching our Rumble channel, you can go into about 33 minutes in and you guys will see what I'm talking about. Otherwise, you can go to my Twitter account and check it out there. Um, what a, what a strange-looking man. What a strange situation we were dealing with. Uh, in addition, we have this. This is the actual, the, uh, the actual order, okay? The, uh, the order from the judge, the conclusion, for the reasons here in stated. It's a 35-page uh, summary decision, including the fact that he uses the word sophistry when he talks about why the Trump administration, or the Trump organization, rather, has made some false claims and why there is standing. A lot of times what you have to find out is, is there standing? Does the attorney general actually even have uh, a victim in this case to be able to bring this forward on? And they basically said that yes, and he goes out there and justifies why. So it says that it's ordered a, portion, a partial summary judgment. And the first cause of action is granted in part to the extent of finding defendants Donald J. Trump, Eric Trump, Donald Trump Jr., Alan Weisberg, a couple of others, the Revocable Trust, the Trump Organization, Inc., Trump Organization LLC, Donald J. Trump Holdings, and so on and so forth. Um, They are liable as a matter of law for persistent violations of Executive Law, Section sixty-three, Subsection twelve, and its furtherance. And so it's ordered that the uh, that any that any entity defendants or any entity controlled or beneficially owned by Donald J. Trump and the following people, I just think they are now canceled by virtue of this situation. Pretty ugly. Pretty ugly. This is what a weaponized judiciary looks like, folks. This is how you undermine your judiciary. You let judges that are activists that have been doing strange things get involved and uh, and do that sort of fun. So pretty awful to think about. And like I said, it's one more straw on the back of a guy who is already shouldering two criminal indictments at the state level in Georgia and in New York, in the same area. You've got the attorney general and the district attorney of Manhattan, both going after him in New York. And then the stuff that's happening in Georgia, and of course Jack Smith still lingering out there, all bizarre. Let's talk about this. Let's talk about a writer strike. Did you guys know that we had a strike going on? That apparently there were not Hollywood programs being written. This is Axios reporting it. The writer strike is officially over, ending the second longest walkout in the uh, Writers Guild of America history. And how many of you noticed they had 11,500 writers that are now eligible to return from work. They won't be scabbed. They won't have to cross a line. They are now back. And who knew who even knew? I don't even know what programs are being written and what you guys are not seeing because I don't do television like that. But if you're a podcast person, if you get your entertainment over on Rumble or on YouTube or you uh, watch videos that come out on X now, you watch Tucker and you don't care about writers, I guess, uh. I guess it doesn't matter, but it's a big deal to those in Hollywood, which is to say leftists who were looking for leftist entertainment were striking against other leftists that weren't paying them the wages that they wanted. And now the leftists have returned to give the leftist indoctrination back to the leftists who were missing out on it. So the leftists are in good shape. They now have it. Why it matters. 11,500 now eligible to return um, should jumpstart the production of live talk shows. You know, this is a big deal in places like California, where there's a lot of money involved in this kind of stuff. This is not that big of a deal. And what was it over? It was over an increase in a 5% contract that was ratified. Uh, and they will increase 4% in May again, and then 3.5% in May of 2025. So it's just about wages. It's not about working conditions or anything else. I wonder if there's a diversity component to this. Do you guys see that? Nope. Oh, they're also scared of AI. Why are they scared of AI? Why would you be scared of AI when you know that Kamala Harris has got it? She's on it. All right. She is. Has it? I saw this story. I didn't mention it in the show notes, but I think it's worth noting, uh, only because this judge did something that I have not seen in a while. You know, you lose a little bit of the culture war, you gain a little bit of the culture war. This is a win. This is a win in Texas. West Texas A&M University had a federal judge rule. Had a federal judge rule that he would not allow. Oh, sorry. The university president said he would not allow something as demeaning as blackface. No blackface on. West Texas A&M University. What is this thing that is analogous to blackface? It's a drag show. It's an on-campus drag show. I think you guys have heard me say it. My wife uses the term woman face a lot. It's men dressing up as women and it is offensive to women. That's what a drag show is because they have basically reduced and cheapened women to a set of pearls, a set of high heels, a dress and sexual sort of uh, imagery on their faces in this clown makeup. This judge sided with the university president. It's not all bad. It's not all bad. The university president's name is Walter Wendler. Canceled the event saying that there was a campus-wide email. He was supportive of the Trevor Project's mission, but they were not going to allow a derisive, divisive, demoralizing misogyny no matter what the drag show's stated intent was. They claimed that it was supposed to help end suicide in LGBTQ plus young people hmm, and the event was open to children so long as they were with the parent. And this guy, President Walter Wendler, said, no gracias, you may not. And the big thing is this, a federal judge said this did not violate the students' First Amendment rights. That's actually a big deal. That's a bigger deal than you guys may know. When a federal judge, which we often think the judiciary being captured, you see little, little glimmers of hope, and this is one of those glimmers of hope. They shut down the blackface performance. I'm a big fan of that. Um, but one win, another loss. They're always out there. We'll go to the loss in just one second. Um, first, did we talk about this here? Did we talk about our merch? Look at these guys. Who is that? That's Garrett O'Boyle stuff. Is he in the chat still? Garrett, we're hawking your merchandise. The-suspendables.com. The dash suspendables.com. The dash, don't forget the dash suspendables.com will get you access to the Suspendables merch store. You can check out all of the shirts that are going on there. The Suspendables collection is going to greet you when you click in. We've got stuff with the badge on it. We've got stuff with the Betsy Ross, all of which are symbols of Militia Violent extremists. Guys, if you buy these and you start wearing them around, our goal is to have the uh, the FBI actually... Look at this. I want the FBI to actually put our symbols on the Militia Violent extremists guide. We want to have a, a release from the Bureau stating... People wearing Suspendables gear may be indicators of anti-government, anti-authority, violent extremists. If you want to be part of that, if you want to be part of the movement, by all means, get your merch at the-suspendables.com. And then take a picture. We had D. Stonk do it on Twitter. I retweeted it. I love it. If you want to pick up something from the Last Line Substack, uh, there's a, a Last Line Strength. That's the the American um, flag the with the blue line that's Garrett made. It's really, really good-looking stuff. The shirts fit really well. Check them out not hawking it for any reason other than he's my buddy and if you guys want to support my buddy and I know you guys like it when he shows up and he hangs out in our chat by all means the PT shirt there is great for going to the gym too if you want to let people know what it's about if you've never worn a military PT shirt it's one of those shirts that basically has a stencil on the back usually either has your name or your unit this one says suspendable so we're all in the same unit there and then it's got the badge up front which is kind of cool looking because it's upside down it definitely gets people's eyes and they go like why is that badge upside down and you say oh well the FBI is it's under duress in the same way the American flag is so Check out the merch store. Okay, let's do this Breitbart story. This thing is weird, people. This is a uh, this is strange because we just had him turn down a trans bill. But uh, apparently, old Gavin thinks that he's going to be able to win this one. This is from Breitbart. Gavin Newsom signs an 11% excise tax on guns. And he describes it as a sin tax. So what's going on there? Uh, the governor of California, Gavin Newsom, gruesome Newsom, as some people will call him. Signed into law an 11% tax on guns and ammunition on Tuesday. This just happened this week. And he describes it as a sin tax. I think that's also really, really interesting. Um, California hates guns. You know that. If you are a gun owner and you live in California, they hate you. They specifically hate you. And what they're trying to do is they're trying to take this money and they're going to apply it to something. He says, uh, this is a direct quote from Gavin. He says, for me, this is a little different. It's an excise tax related to gun safety. There's nothing safer about making guns more expensive. All it does is it makes poor people less likely to be able to afford guns, which is kind of racist to go with our theme. Is it not? In fact, the original gun control laws in the United States were actually about racism. They were keeping freed slaves from gun ownership. They go back all the way into the 1700s, keeping freed slaves and freedmen from having particular weapons like knives and guns. Um, in New Orleans. Those are some of the earliest gun control laws in the United States. They almost always have a racial tinge. If you go to the Gun Control Act of 1968, the Gun Control Act, GCA, 1968, was trying to get rid of zip guns and Saturday night specials were overwhelmingly owned by people who were of a lower socioeconomic status. They believed that they were going to keep blacks from owning cheap guns, which were often used for self-defense in bad neighborhoods. There is a big history here. It goes on and on. Um, the idea that you would try to keep certain guns away and make things more expensive, even the, uh, the the nastiest National Firearms Act of 1934, which basically made it almost impossible to own a suppressor or a machine gun for many years because that $200 tax stamp was the equivalent of like three dollars to $4,000 in today's money. It priced almost everybody out of it. It was an incredibly expensive tax. The only people that could actually afford to own it were the gangsters they were trying to keep it out of the hands of. And of course, the background checks in 1934 were not what they are today. They didn't have the FBI doing the thing. The FBI was a brand new agency, brand new armed agency in 1935. So uh, a lot of this stuff actually does have some serious racial tinges. And this itself has racial tinges to me. He says it funds mental health services. So they're taking the money from your bu- your gun purchase as you give another 11% on top of whatever your sales tax is and whatever your local taxes are, whatever the shipping is, if you were to ship it in from out of state and the ridiculous price of guns, which is more expensive for you to buy a gun in California because it has to go through the stupid this this check system, and get themselves on the California-approved list of weapons. California is absurd. When I lived there, I did not register my weapons. I just brought them in from Texas. I didn't know any better, and I didn't care. I owned an AR and guns that were not on their list, because honestly, I think they're all tyrannical. There's a fun meme that says uh, the number of states that you can carry a gun in concealed in the United States if you're not a bitch is 50. You can carry them in all 50 states. If you want to be America, treat it like America. It says this funds mental health services, funds school safety programs. I see this a little bit differently in that context. This is not a general income tax. This is not a corporate tax. This is, from my perspective, more of a sin tax. S-I-N, if you're not catching it. Sin. In other words, it's a sin to own a gun. In Gavin Newsom's mind, there's a cause, effect, and a justification. Are you guys familiar with the sin taxes? They used to do these all the time on things like liquor, right? They used to do them on things get rid of myself over here they used to do them on things like liquor and they would do them on certain uh, types of you know they had them in New York the syntax was on on uh, big drinks on on uh, like sugary beverages and they would have them on cigarettes so they would put these additional taxes they're all on there still actually like they're, I think somebody told me a pack of smokes in New York is like close to 20 bucks a pack at this point. Pretty wild. So a sin tax is to say that what you're doing is bad, either for you or for the community. And so we're going to hold you accountable financially for the damage that you're doing uh, metaphorically. And and in doing so, we're going to make it more expensive to try to dissuade you from this sinful behavior. And so Gavin Newsom with a sin tax, 11% is no joke, by the way, 11% is more than the total sales tax that I look at when I go and buy something in Texas. I think we have an 8.25% when you figure all the local taxes on top of the state taxes 8.25%, Eight point two five percent. You're talking about doing, you know, more than double that if you add eleven percent on top. And California already has high taxes. Somebody can tell me in the chat, or you can put it down actually in the, uh, if you happen to live in California for some reason, you can put it down in our comments below and let us know how bad the normal sales tax is and what we are adding to the price of a gun. They're pricing people out of it on purpose. Like there's no, there's no ifs, ands, or buts around it. They do not want you to own guns. They don't think that you should be allowed to own guns. And in doing so. Um, they are trying to reduce gun ownership, dissuade gun ownership. Why? So that the state can disarm you. It's one more step. Once again, they came out against it and said, oh, New York, New Mexico, it's too far. It's too far that you want to just ban guns arbitrarily. We're just going to make them too expensive for you. And that was a technique that was used all the way back in 1934, uh, 1935, the, uh, the gun control, I'm oh, sorry, the national firearms act. That was the same idea. They said, it's not that we're banning them. We're just taxing them at a rate that nobody can afford Gavin Newsom taking the first step there in California. Way to go, bro. We're so proud of you. Really excited about this. Um, Another kind of interesting little thing. You guys may be seeing there's some race riots that are going to start happening in Philadelphia. They started, uh, it looks like, last night, from what I could tell on Twitter. Uh, I'm not going to show you the videos of it, but there are a number of stores that were getting looted. And of course, as AOC has told us, these are just people looking for bread. They're just hungry. They're, They're just starving. And so what do they do? They raided Lululemon a... Luxury workout brand that uh, women who have enough money to squeeze in—they look nice. If you're wearing what Lululemons, I'm not mad at you. They, you know, they're a nice-looking pair of clothing, nice pants for yoga. Uh, if you can afford what 120 bucks a pair for something that probably costs them six bucks to make. The reason why it costs 120 bucks a pair is because they have a firm policy of not chasing down people that are involved in shoplifting. They do not want to pursue shoplifters in any way, shape, or form. And yet. We saw videos of cops trying to stop people looting the stores. Honestly, just let them go from here. If if a store doesn't want to even defend its own property, why should law enforcement put themselves at risk defending that property? Uh, and why was that? Why are they going after this sort of thing? Why would we have such a uh, civil unrest happening in the city of Philadelphia, that place of brotherly love? Because, because, of course, we have one little instance of something going the right way. The, uh, the, the DA in Philadelphia is a soros back guy. His name is Larry Krasner. Some of you may be aware that he has been out there and aggressively pursuing things. He filed charges, murder charges, um, one count of murder, and then also uh, a couple of other um, abusive authority-type charges against a police officer named Mark Dial. Now, Mark Dial is not accused of. He actually did. But he uh, he's accused of murdering this guy, was accused of it, and was involved in a what I would call self-defense act. Because he shot this, this driver who was going the wrong way on a one-way street, and then when he approached the guy, the guy reached for a big knife, which had a black handle, and looked enough to his partner, like a firearm, that he fired into the vehicle. Uh, he screamed out that he had a knife. This is all on body cam. I've seen the body cam footage. We may not be able to play the video right now because I don't have Ryan queued it up. But what we do have is pretty obvious evidence of what's going on. And the judge threw out these charges. You can see what the guy does. He rolls straight up to the, uh, we might be able to play it with no video. I may be able to talk over it if it's up here. He rolls, I'm not sure if they have it in this particular article. It doesn't look like they do. He, he runs up to the uh, the video, or up to the car, where this guy whose name was, he was a Hispanic kid. He's got a sideways baseball cap. His name is Irizarry, Irizarry, sorry, Irizari. And uh, this kid, Eddie Irizari, goes uh, driving down the wrong way, Goes for a big knife. If anybody's ever seen the way that we're trained in law enforcement to deal with people with knives, it is that uh, they are a deadly threat. And getting out of a car can happen incredibly quickly. And stabbing is not something you want to do. He's at very, very close range. He's right next to the car. And so he tells the guy to stop it. The guy continues to raise the weapon up. And he gets blasted. And then the police officer actually retreats and runs back behind his car for cover. And so that's what the judge saw. So the defense attorney is a guy named uh, Brian McGonagall. He says he tells the judge, whose name is Wendy Pugh. Good on Wendy. Drop all charges, including the manslaughter. There was one about official oppression and four other cards. Uh, I would not be surprised to see the uh, the FBI pick this up as a DOJ sort of uh, civil rights case. Why wouldn't they? They've already done it before. They went after Mark Houghton, the same place. Uh, Larry Krasner tried to defend this thing, but essentially the defense attorney said, you can see that he's firing and he's trying to take cover. The judge says, I agree with you 100% and threw out the case for a lack of evidence. Right from the bench, not even going to continue. Um, And then, of course, Larry Krasner has filed a motion to reinstate these charges, and they're going to have a hearing October 25th. And that has caused rioting because, I don't know, because a Hispanic kid who had a knife and couldn't follow orders and was driving the wrong way and might have been impaired and might have been who knows what. Like, have any of you ever been pulled over by the police and thought, you know what I need to do? I need to show him my big knife. That's what I'm going to do. I'm in the wrong. I'm driving the wrong way. I'm going down a municipal street. The police are there. There's one on either side of me. And the best move for me at this moment would be forget the driver's license. I'm going to show him what a cool knife I have. I get this really big one and I just think he should see it. Pretty bizarre. Uh, And sad because now Philadelphia is going to feel the pain from it. And the pain is going to be them tearing things up. I'm double, I'm double up here. How about that? <laughs> so let's bring up a, uh, a a piece of good news because rather than have a strike end and have nothing to follow it up, we need a new strike in this country, and we have Michigan coming to the uh, to the rest. They have brought us another strike. And luckily, the diaper wearing, confused old man that occupies the white house has decided to join them in a show of support. This is a really weird looking thing. You guys can't see on there. Let me scroll this down. So Biden joins auto workers for the picket line in Michigan, the United auto workers going on strike. Uh, yeah, well, people aren't going to be able to afford cars anyway. So that's probably a great move. I think that's fantastic. Look at this. Look at this, uh, thing that they put up here. It's like a little pallet. They've got some markers. So he's got a little square where he can stand in. So he doesn't get confused. And they gave him a bullhorn. It's got the, uh, it's got the American flag on there. Might be point, pointed the wrong way. I think that's the wrong way for an American flag. They should have put it on the other side. That's okay. They don't know how the flag customs work. No big deal. And then you get these people just kind of standing out there. There's a, a really great viral photo. The guy that is right at the edge. Uh, if you can see at the end of the bullhorn, there's a guy that's standing there. And uh, I don't think he's really excited about Joe Biden. And I don't think he wants Joe Biden there. Guy with the shaved head. Good looking dude sitting there. And he gives the weirdest look. They, they went all over social media when Joe was talking because Joe is not a great spokesperson for anybody. And that includes people on the picket line in Michigan. Uh, and he said in a mumbled tone through a bullhorn, and the union's well the middle class and It's a fact. That's a fact, Jack. So he's out there talking about out, and they said it's a strong and extraordinary gesture. Of course, the New York Times is fluffing this president, saying how great it is. Look, it's a short, but a symbolic visit. He's cheering them on. There he is. Look how, Look how awkward this man is hugging this lady, he's confused. You saw the other day, he's con- he's concerned that any of these people could go out there and rape his mother because he doesn't really like black people, Joe Biden, very, very uncomfortable. Actually, I'm gonna zoom in on that, I think I can do that. What do you think, can I zoom in, folks? I just want you to be able to see my buddy Joe here. There he is, look at that. What is going on with that face? That is a man who is not loving it. He is not having a great time, this is not his way. Somebody put him out there. He's like, "How did I get around these people? Why am I so confused? I'm just, I'm just standing here." He cannot wait to go home and go to Delaware and go back to the beach where he spent forty percent of his presidency. That would be much better for him. He would appreciate that far better. Uh, ladies and gentlemen. That is our program for the day. I do really appreciate all of you. Oh, of course, I didn't put up the uh, the five-star review. I wonder if I can pull that out. I'm going to read it for you. I don't have it uh, pull up on the screen. This is why we need Ryan. Ryan's internet got chopped. Apparently, uh, Xfinity decided that the Kyle Seraphis show was not important to them, and they were going to shut it down, so they did. Uh, but we stream live from Liberty Hill, Texas, rain or shine, internet or not on the production. As long as I can do it, I'm sending it out to you all. I really do appreciate all of you in the live chat. I've been watching it. Scroll across the screen, and there are plenty of you. We have also have a five-star review from N J. Cause. That's our New Jersey cousin saying, leading by example, five stars. Thank you so much for standing up for the American people and educating the public podcast content, interesting and informative. Love your brother suspendables. We love them, too. I know Garrett's been saying, hanging out in the chat and Steve was willing to jump in and try to do some production for me if it could be happening. Uh, it says great podcast guest that shine light on important, relevant issues. Folks, we appreciate you. We're at well over five, uh, 700 reviews right now. 500 was my first benchmark. We're working towards a thousand. We just set our sights on 1,000. Let's see if we can have 1,000 reviews. Go out there and leave us a five-star review. All you got to do is scroll down through the show notes and click on it on Apple. If you have an iPhone or if you have a Mac, you can leave us a five-star review. We'll read it here on the show, and that's why the show continues to grow. That's why our rankings are as good as they are on Apple, on Spotify, on iHeartRadio. I saw some stuff from this thing called Chartables. It was a, It's a, a uh, podcast charting, and they said that we were in the top 60, I think, for politics in the United States, at least last week, which is insane. It's insane. We just started doing this this year. And you know how many uh, big podcasts are out there. There's apparently a million podcasts out there. So we really appreciate that you've chosen to listen to ours. And we show you that by showing, sharing all of your reviews. Folks, follow Ryan Matta. Even if he can't get on the internet, his name is Ryan Matta Media on Twitter. That's M-A-T-T-A. I'm sure he'll be on his show if he gets his internet back uh, for LFA TV. Hopefully we have it back so we can do our interesting guest interview, which we have been setting up for a little while with Victoria Sparts. We're trying to have her on the program for either tomorrow or the next day. So uh, cross your fingers that we can solve these problems. Don't forget to like this video. Don't forget to share it on your social media platforms. We will see you again tomorrow. If I can find it, we're going to shut it down. Thanks so much for joining us today, guys. Thanks for listening to the Kyle Serafin show streamed live weekdays on Rumble.com slash Kyle Follow Kyle on Twitter, Truth Social, and Instagram at Kyle Serafin.